Welcome everybody, welcome everybody online. Most of you know my name is Eric Birch, I'm one of the associate pastors here. Today is a special day for a lot of reasons. Yeah, that's one of them. So I turned 63 today, which um, up until a few weeks ago, I didn't realize how big an accomplishment that could be. <laughs> so I appreciate all your uh, support and prayers. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of bumpy uh, the last few weeks. And, um, and so if you wonder why I'm sitting on a stool, um, it's uh, not a kickback to the blue collar comedy tour, but um, I've been having issues with my legs if I have to stand for too long, and so uh, decided not to stand too long. So um, I'm going to sit through the message just like you. Um, today is also a day we remember the tragedy of the Twin Towers. Um, obviously the death of a lot of folks, um, and really changed our whole perspective of living in this country and, and the world. And we would have hoped that this would have been a change, that the world would realize that violence isn't the answer and that hate has no place and that persecution should end, but with no, that didn't happen. Uh, unfortunately, the world is just as messed up as it was, and it will be messed up until he comes back. Um, and so for most of us, I suspect we'll go home before he comes back, but uh, uh, we know he's coming, and when he does, the, uh, there will be a new world, and there will be peace, and there will be a time that will be unparalleled since uh, before the fall. So Lord, we just want to pray for those that have uh, been impacted uh, directly and indirectly by 9-11, and I think of not just those uh, first responders, uh, and the people at the event, but those that, because of the war and through all the other situations, Lord, that have been so impacted by such an event. And I know pretty much anyone here can remember where they were that very day that we saw that happen, um, Lord. And so I just pray that you bring into us that, that compassion, that care, that love for others that is really the solution to the problem. Uh, we need to know you. We need to love like you. The world needs to know you and love like you. And that, um, that is the solution to the problem. So we just thank you for all that you do. In your most holy name, amen. All right. So we've been working through sort of like a mini-series, right, in Ephesians 1, 3 to 5. And it's uh, really one of the richest pieces of Scripture, but there's so much of that in Scripture, literally, where you can just spend so much time on one sentence. So if you remember, in, uh, we started with Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Right? So we saw that we're to bless God because we've been blessed by God. Um, and it was important that we had to understand God and what that blessing truly is. Um, and we have to understand those blessings exist now and they exist eternally. Um, and we have to claim those. We have to understand what those blessings are, blessings are and claim them today. Uh, and then we looked at verse 4, where we are holy and blameless. Right? Verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. And we saw that our blessings came to us by the love and grace of God. And we saw that to be holy, we must recognize that God is the perfect model of holiness and that he sees us as holy while we strive for holiness, right? And we saw that blameless defines our condition as seen before God. Um, 
He doesn't see our sins, but our clean, cleansed selves. Um, and therefore, we should strive toward blamelessness. Um, and everything we have done, uh, that he has done for us, rather, is that we would become holy and blameless in our lives. And so we saw that process of, of working toward that. It's strange that we're seen as holy and blameless, and yet we're striving for holiness and blamelessness. Um, and we saw that love for one another is how we show that we've made that transformation. If you don't know God, you can't know love, right? He is the founder of love, and he is the, the example of love. Um, all right, so now we're going to jump into verse 5. Um, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, today's message is titled, um, I Have Been Adopted by God. So that's really what we're going to focus on, because as believers, we've been adopted by God the Father into his family, and we share in the riches of his kingdom. And that's an amazing thing. When you think that the creator of the universe has adopted you into his family. But before we launch in that verse, I want to address that second word um, in the verse today, because that's kind of People have a lot of issues with that word, so I'm going to kind of give you the short version. Um, that word predestination, okay? So, um, now there's been a lot written by theologians over the years about predestination, so I'm not going to try to uh, break that all out for you. But what I want to tell you is, so we have Calvinists on one side, Arminians on the other, and the rest of us in the middle, right? Very few of us are really heavy duty on either end. We're kind of more in the middle, um, and so since this message is about adoption and not about predestination versus free will, I'm going to give you the quick version of what that word means. So first of all, the Calvinist side, we look at the, uh, my, my dear friend, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and predestined is to, dist, to destine, decree, determine, appoint, or settle beforehand. In other words, to predestine something is to decide ahead of time how it shall occur. So to the Calvinists, they use the term irresistible grace. And they see that meaning that because God decides who will know him, then you have no choice but to accept grace. You have been predestined. God has said you will go and you will not. He's predestined people to go. And then the Holy Spirit will work in the lives of the elect to make sure they get to know God. Um, and it's the, you know, we look at it's the I, and if you know the TULIP acronym for the Calvinists, um, it's the I in TULIP. The problem with this is that we see the term the elect, which means God has created some people to know him and have created others not to know him. And that just kind of rubs us wrong. That just isn't how we see God. We don't see him going, okay, you, you, not you, 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 not you. It just doesn't work for us, right? It's, it doesn't seem fair. Um, and I know there's nowhere you'll find God being fair isn't in Scripture anywhere. Uh, I always love my kids. Well, that's not fair. Well, who said life's fair? Where'd you get this idea? Life's not fair. Life is. It's just not fair. So anyway, I'm going to try to break this down with a couple of verses that I think make a good point to these. The first being on the Calvinist side, we have Ephesians 1.11. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who are first to hope in Christ uh, would be to the praise of his glory. So the key sentence there is predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the plan of his will. 
So his will decides, and he has the right to decide who does and who doesn't. To the Calvinists, it's that simple. God's God, you're not. He decides, you don't, um, and that's that. So all comes down to God's will. Your will has nothing to do with it. So, of course, there's the other Hasid. The Arminians prefer the term preventative grace, which we, use, we say resistible grace because it's easier than preventing it. Anyway, resistible grace is grace God given to individuals that releases them from their bondage to sin and enables them to come to Christ in faith but does not guarantee that the sinner will actually do so. So the importance of, in the Arminian view, is the efficacy of grace. It is there sufficient for all, but you have to choose to take it. Uh, in other words, God, through his grace, has enabled you to accept him. He has taken away the, 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 the penalty of sin so you can choose to get to know him. So one of the key verses for the Arminians is Romans 8, 29 to 30, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justifies, and those he justified, he also glorified. The key verse here, of course, is foreknew, right? So if you look at the reason of foreknew, it means to know beforehand, especially by paranormal means or by revelation. So the Arminian position is that God knew in advance those people who, when offered, would accept and therefore will guide the Holy Spirit to lead them to the point where they get the question. In other words, he knows when the question is asked, do you want to accept Jesus Christ? They will say yes. And therefore, he foreknew that, and that's what he drives toward. So again, where that actually lands... As my math professor used to say, I'll let you work out the rest of the equation on your own. Um, <laughs> I used to hate when he'd do that. He'd go through this big, long calculus thing. He goes, eh, the rest is obvious to you. <laughs> so, anyway, so there you have it. The Calvinists believe God before, decreed beforehand who would be saved, and the Arminians believe that God knew beforehand who would accept his grace. All right. So hopefully you got it all understood now. You're good to go. All right. <laughs> Back to the point of the message here. We're going to talk about adoption. So, again, verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So what is adoption by God and what does it look like? So I like the way Charles Spurgeon defined it. He says, adoption is an act of God whereby we who were children under the wrath of God from the lost family of Adam, and for no reason in ourselves, but entirely of pure grace of God, were brought actually and eternally into the family of God. So there's a lot in there. I really like that because the first part that we see from this is that adoption was an act of grace. We have been adopted by God into his family. We take his name. We share in the privileges of sons and daughters. For all intents and purposes, it's as if we were born into the family of God. Um, for those of you who know about adoption, uh, they changed the birth certificate. We adopted our two grandkids. They have a totally different birth certificate that lists us as the parents. 
Um, now, it's interesting because if we think of human terms, the idea of adoption being a matter of grace makes total sense, right? You don't have a right to be adopted. You may have a desire to be adopted. Uh, certainly after nine years of foster parenthood, we met a lot of kids that wanted to be adopted, that desired to have a family to call their own, but they couldn't claim any right to have one. Clearly, adoption is an act of grace. It is the adopting parents that show an act of grace through adoption. And typically, we adopt people because either we have some requirement, as in a family bond, or that we, there's a person who has not only a need for adoption, but that we find pleasant enough to be around that we're willing to adopt them. You know, you get this sort of trial period. Let's see if I can put up with you, and you can put up with me, and... You know, if you're not too badly behaved and reasonably polite, you know, we can look at it. And you can go down to the adoption, and they have this like a PowerPoint. You go, oh, that one's cute. Should I try that one out? And this is what they're looking for. And you fill out a profile and all that kind of stuff, right? And so, you know, they go through that whole process to decide who you're going to adopt. And like I said, Don and I, we adopted two of our grandkids because uh, at the time it was the best thing to do. And one of my great-granddaughters was actually adopted by a friend of my sister's for a similar reason. Um, and again, like I said, there's agencies out there all over the place that provide for adoption services. And we certainly know many people within our own um, congregation who have been blessed by adoption, to be able to adopt a child in their life and, and to bring them in. But our adoption into the family of God was nothing like that, right? Uh, there was no yearning in our hearts to join the family of God. Um, no tears of joy when we first ran into God. In fact, I told you before, when I ran into God, I didn't like the guy. You know, because what I believed of him, he was a bully. Um, none of us were looking for adoption when the Holy Spirit came knocking. It wasn't something we were pursuing. And there was nothing in us that deserved adoption. There was nothing nifty and nice about us that he could say, eh, I like that one, I think I'll pick that one. No. In fact, Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 8 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and all our wrongdoings like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have surrendered us to the power of our wrongdoings. But now, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. And all of us are work of your hands. Now, I won't get into the Greek since it's just before lunch, but the word that gets translated filthy garments, pretty gross. Um, I won't get into it. But yeah, that's how we stand before God filthy garments. Um, and yet, we had neither the desire nor the qualities to be adopted, but that's exactly what God did. He adopted us anyway. Pretty amazing. Now, you would have thought God, whose wrath um, I have so long provoked, at least for me. <laughs> I'm sure I did lots of things for a long time that he did not like. Uh, and his majesty was insulted. His holiness was offended. Um, and even though we were made in the image and we had tarnished it so, he still wanted to adopt us. Uh, and he found in this rebellious, filthy, frightful little child 
held in depravity and picked us up and held us close and said, you are beautiful in my eyes. I created you, I love you, and I want to adopt you. And I want to put the robe of my holiness around you, and I want to put my son's robe of righteousness around you and bring you into my family. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's amazing. I just... The other thing I have to there was no necessity in his action. Right? He had Jesus. He didn't need more kids. And if he wanted a family, there's still the angels. And of course, his omnipotence, he could have made a bunch of people way nicer than us. But he didn't. He was in no need of making us the choice of his adoption. And yet, that's exactly what he did. So in an act of pure, gratuitous grace, nothing else, God chose to adopt us into his family. Pretty amazing. Now, with adoption comes privilege. So next we're going to look at some of the privileges that come with adoption. Now I'm going to steal from the um, 12th article of the Baptist Confession of Faith, written in 1629, because it's been kind of modernized, but this is, I think it's a really great section here as far as what it says. So it says, all those that are justified, God granted in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, and yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Wow. There is a lot of privilege in that sentence. So we're going to look at a few of those. So like I said, he was taken, by adoption of God, we are taken into his family. We enjoy the liberties and privileges of God as his children. His name is put upon his. We receive the spirit of adoption. We have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Can call God Abba, Father. Pitied, protected, provided for, chastened by God himself, never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises of heirs of an everlasting salvation. Quite a list. There's one that's not in that list, and I think it's really important. First of all, we're, we're no longer children of wrath. When someone gets op- adopted into a new family, they fall under the authority of a new father. Their previous father has no say in their life. He no longer has impact in their lives. They're released from the authority of their previous father. And so, now that we've been adopted by God, we've been released from Satan. Satan has no authority in our lives. I'm no longer a child of wrath. I'm no longer threatened by the law. The law may be rule, 
but it's no longer my ruler. And I may take the law to be a pattern for my life because truly when we look at the law that's in this word, there's no greater guide to how to live your life. But it's a guide in my life. It's no longer the stick which beats me. The law demands punishment. But I can point to my brother who took my punishment upon the cross. That is no small privilege. And I pray that you truly understand and appreciate the liberty we now have that we're out from under the law and that we live in the throat of grace. Now, God has given us a new name. We read in Revelation 2.17, The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give them some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows except the one who receives it. So we're going to be given a new name by God. Don't know what it is till we get there. But our mortal bodies will perish and will be raised up in new immortal bodies of sons and daughters of God with new names. It's interesting. Someone asked the question, well, when you get to heaven, who are you going to be married to? God. <laughs> We're the bridegroom to Jesus, right? You're not going to have to go, oh, is it my first wife or my second one? You know, it's not going to be there. All right, another one. Uh, we have a new nature. Now, when we adopt a child in our family, we cannot change their character. So we all know. <laughs> you can't even, even when you birth them, you can't change their character. <laughs> um, they are what they are. Uh, but that's so with God's adoption, right? God made us a new creation. He gave us a new nature. Uh, not only do we have a new name, but a new nature. We're a new creation given the nature of Jesus Christ in our hearts. We read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6, So we too, who were children, were held in bondage under the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law and that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Cool. Right? He sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. We have a new nature as adopted sons and daughters of God. Again, we were once like our father Adam, but God removes that and replaces it with himself. This one's really cool. The, we have access to his throne. We come not before the throne of God as a servant begging for our wages because our true wages is death. But we come before the throne of God as sons and daughters of the Most High. <laughs> Deborah and I were talking about this earlier before the, the service, especially of that one song, you know, Come to the Father. Um, my Gracie, my, one of my granddaughters, is four. And she loves just to jump in my lap and, and just, you know, like when I try to put my socks on, she'll jump on my shoulders and, and see if she can, you know, make some steps. And, 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 I, and I think, you know, we think of God, we can come to God as our Father. 
we can jump in his lap. I know that sounds to some of us, that probably sounds blasphemous, but no, that's what it means. We come to him as children. When your life is struggling, you can come to him and you can sit in his lap and you can put your arms around him. You can bury your face in his chest and know he loves you. And we know we've been struggles in our lives to know that I can go to the Father and be comforted. Right? Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13 says, So I say to you, ask, and you will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and, no one who seek, or, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now which of your fathers will his son ask for a fish, and instead of a fish he'll give him a snake? Or he'll ask for an egg, and his father will give him a scorpion? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We have a good, good father who wants us to come to him and to ask. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, I'd think, well, he knows. I don't have to tell him. He knows. Yeah, but you have to know. You have to be able to say, God, can I lay in your lap today? It's a tough day. Can I just lay in your lap? You know, it's, to me, that's just such a beautiful picture. We know that God has compassion for us. He pities our current condition. He knows where we're going. He longs to see us there. When we lay sick in bed, God's compassion is there. He understands our pain. When we're tempted, God's compassion feels our struggles and groans. You have to understand, what is, I think that something gets lost. People are like, well, it was easy. Jesus you know, resisted sin because he was God. No, but he was man. And unlike us, he resisted completely. We have it. We don't know the full temptation of sin. Jesus does. So he knows when we struggle. He knows when we're there. God, help me through this. I'm struggling. Psalm 103.13 says, Just as the Father had compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So when our hearts are hurt, excuse me, when our hearts are heavy and burdened, the loving heart of God sympathizes with us and can carry that load. And Christ bears those struggles with us as a loving brother would. All right. God protects us. Just as a hen protects his chicks under the feather of her wings, so God's arms encircle us. No father would allow his son or daughter to die without a attempting to resist the danger, the adversary that's trying to kill him. And God will never allow his children to perish while his omnipotence can protect them. And unlike our earthly fathers who lack awareness to stop an attack, we have a father who's omniscient and omnipresent and is never surprised. He knows everything that is going to happen. It's, I was, oh, that, you probably surprised God on that one. Uh-uh, you can't surprise God. He already knows everything. God provides for us. God provides all of our needs, not just not our wants, but our needs. Right? Luke 12, verses 29 to 32. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying, for all these things are what the nations of the world eagerly seek. 
And your father knows what you need, uh, or that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, because your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. We have a generous provision from God. We've been given the kingdom of God, right? He guarantees our, our daily bread, what we need to sustain us, which isn't our wants, uh, but it's our needs if we seek him. And that doesn't mean you won't struggle. That doesn't mean it, you know, food's going to show up on a box every day, right? There's effort involved. But we know we can trust in him to provide. This is one of my favorite ones. God will teach you all you need to know. God is the author of truth, something that has gotten lost in our world today. You know, it's interesting. The, um, Donna was in, or was it Romans? Anyway, we're talking, and there's a section in there where, where you know, men gave over to the, um, their lusts and maltreated being with men like being with women. And, and she's like, this is about homosexuality. I'm like, yeah, it's in there. Um, it tells you what the truth is. People don't like it, but that's what it says. All the things that we struggle with are in here. It tells you what the truth is. Um, again, we treat people with compassion, but the truth is the truth, and we have to say it's the truth. Um, my, favorite, my second favorite 316 in the Bible, Second uh, Timothy 316 and 17, says, all scriptures are inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Right? So which scripture can I skip? None. That's what all means. All scripture. Um, and it's interesting because people are like, Eric, you're way too binary. Yeah, well, I start here. And if it's in here, I'm done. You know, it's not going to tell you what car to buy, but it won't tell you how to behave. Right? It's simple. So the scriptures can be fully replied on as our source of truth. Nothing in it is false or misleading. When I hear people say, well, it's full of contradiction, I'm like, well, then you haven't read enough of it because there is no contradiction in scripture. You may fail to understand something in it, but there is no contradiction. And we should be in it every day. Again, if you don't read the scriptures every day, you're moving backwards. You need to find time, you have to find time to eat, you should find time to read the word. That's your nourishment for the spirit. And this is the one we really like, God will discipline us. <laughs> I know we don't like discipline, as a kid I hated it. It was a negotiable thing, though I knew pretty quickly, I knew what I could get away with and what it would cost me. So I'd be like, if I do this, I get that. Okay, it's worth it, I'll do it. You know, it was a negotiation, right? Uh, it doesn't work that way, right? We have a sinful nation, and we're bound to make the wrong decisions. We're bound to go in the wrong direction. And then God will correct us. Today, it's interesting, because we live in a world that doesn't want consequence. I want to be able to do whatever I want, but I don't want any consequences. I don't want anything negative to happen because of it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 7 says, And you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood on your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, 
He disciplines and he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom father does not discipline? Yeah, we don't think of uh, being disciplined by God necessarily as a privilege, but it is. He loves us. He cares how we come out. And therefore, he disciplines us. He guides us. He tells us when we do something that's wrong um, because he loves us. So we see that our adoption by the gift of grace comes with a lot of privilege. And I was joking with Dennis because this is like, it's, it's like a two-for-one sale on Scripture today because there's just, there just so much. And, and yet this just really scratches the surface of all that God does, all of the, the privileges that we have. And, um, and it's, you know, there's so much more than this. Um, all right, point three. So there's not, there are requirements associated with adoption. So now that we're adopted by God, what does it require of us? Well, the most obvious is to obey your father. Right? As a child, we should obey our father. And there are, you know, it's interesting. I looked at it and said, what verses should I include that tells you to obey God? Well, since we need to be out by lunch, I didn't pick them all. <laughs> so I picked a few that I thought were particularly poignant. Uh, Matthew 5.8, therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, Matthew 22, verses 39 to 40. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Um, And there's many, many more. Like I said, hundreds of verses that talk about obeying God. Um, we're to obey God because he knows the best in us he knows what's best for us um, and he wants us uh, to end the best we can be and so really obedience and obedience is love we'll get to that in a minute here Uh, we should also trust our father Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know, in a world that we live in today where there's so little that can be trusted on, so little that is reliable, um, we can trust in God. He's immutable. I love that word. It means he is unchanging. He is who he has always been. His promises are rock solid. The old, you can take it to the bank, right? He doesn't change his mind. Numbers 23, verses 5 and 6 says, uh, I've got the wrong scripture there. Yep, I apologize, I got the wrong scripture there. Um, God is not a man that he would lie, nor the son of man that he would change his mind. He has said... And he will not do it, or has he spoken and will not make it good? I had a typo there. Um, again, God does not change his mind. Imagine if our salvation was based on a God who changed his mind. 
Uh, today, maybe not tomorrow. No. We can trust him. And finally, he is to be loved. Right? Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The greatest commandment is to love your father. And we've said it before, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. It is how you behave. Right? Donna knows that I love her because that is how I treat her. God knows we love him because of how we behave. We follow what he says. We obey him. Now, there are times that you can be angry at God. Absolutely. He's big enough to take it. I can remember back in the day when we had day timers. If you remember those, the, uh, in a hospital bed with my day timer in hand saying, did you not see this? I had plans, and this was not in here. <laughs> yeah, people are like, oh, I felt really bad. I got mad at God. Oh, he can take it. You know, have you ever not gone to your father and said, Dad, I'm not real happy with you right now? No, of course not. I mean, he's God. He's your father. He knows. You're not going to be happy with everything that happens. That's okay. Show him your love. So we praise him. We worship him. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. So I pray today that today, between meals and sports and all the other things, um, that you thank God for your adoption. That you recognize the significance of being adopted and brought into the family of God. To have Jesus Christ as your brother. Um, and to know that you will spend eternity in a mansion in the sky uh, with God. It's a very special thing. Lord, we are grateful for all that you do, that you have uh, brought us to you, you have opened our eyes to you, that the Holy Spirit has guided us to you, uh, and that you have adopted us, that you have brought us into your family, um, that you have put behind all those things that uh, make us unattractive and unlovable and love, you still love us um, and we thank you for all the privileges that you have bestowed upon us um, as your adopted children um, and Lord as we go forth this day help us to to love you with all our hearts uh, to be guided in how we behave and how we think about you and how we think about others uh, because of what you've done for us um, and we enjoy uh, the state of adoption by you. In your most holy name, amen.